Welcome back to Daf HaShavua. This week we're going to be learning Masech Siyavah Mostaf Tzadi Ches. As we make our way through the parak of Hanosin Al Hanusa, we're going to be discussing on Daf Tzadi Ches many situations that take place with regards to uh, brothers, with regards to twins, uh, and uh, specifically in the realm and in the context of uh, Giris, when brothers are going to be Megayer um, in their lives, and whether or not they're Megayer, uh, before they're born, before they're conceived, after they're conceived, after they're born, uh, and what many of the uh, the halachic ramifications uh, of those situations are going to be vis-a-vis who they can marry and which relatives are going to be muttered to them and which relatives are going to be uh, asura to them from their uh, from their uh, life as a non-Jew. So the bottom of Daft Tzadizayin, uh, Ahmed Beis, there was a machlokis between Rav Sheshes and Ravacha Bar Yaakov about two brothers who were Megayer. Ravacha Bar Yaakov comes along and he's of the opinion that it's mutter to marry the widow or the divorcee of the other. There's no Isarishis ish over here because the concept of Ger Shenes Gayer is Kikatan Shenola Dami. This is a concept uh, the, that we introduced um, that we introduced on the previous Amud. And the concept of Ger Shenes Gayer the concept that comes up throughout Shas and throughout Halacha. And basically, what we're describing over here is a concept in which we have a ger. The ger goes ahead uh, and has this gear as he undergoes this process of conversion. And when he finishes, when he concludes this process of conversion, so all previous relationships are null and void. And he basically starts again like a new, uh, like a new child, like a new baby. Rav Bar Yaakov holds that it is. Uh, that it, when uh, when uh, these two brothers find themselves in the situation uh, such as this one, and they both are married, so Rav Yaakov Yaakov holds that it's a mutter to marry the widow or the divorcee of the other. Rav Sheshes, however, holds that it's actually going to be Asr Midir for one to marry the widow of the other because we're concerned, we're nervous that people are going to come to think that a person can go ahead and a person can marry the divorcee or the widow uh, of a regular brother, and therefore comes along Rav Sheshes and says that uh, this is actually Asr and a person would be prohibited to go ahead and to do so. The Gemara then presents several brysos which come and are going to support both of these approaches of Rav Achabar Yaakov and Rav Sheshes. The Gemara presents a case of twin brothers who convert to Judaism after being born. And uh, once again, what are the halakhic ramifications um, if they're going to be converted after they're born or after they're conceived or if their mother converted while they're pregnant. So the discussion gets underway with regards to a mother, a woman who goes to the mikvah while she's pregnant for her conversion uh, and whether or not the baby is considered to be uber yerach imo, is the baby, uh, a is the fetus rather, a uh, one of the limbs uh, of the mother and therefore the baby is uh, Nizgayer along with the mother, or is Uber Lav Yerach Imo, or is the baby not considered to be uh, part or a limb of the mother, uh, which would uh, which would uh, emerge and uh, and describe that the baby would have to undergo another conversion, and uh, certainly there's a uh, fascinating halachic discussion with regards to twins. We know that uh, in the Torah we have twins, Yaakov and Esav, um, and uh, they definitely um, are the uh, are the uh, the owners of much of the Torah that uh, that describe twins and the relationship between twins. But there's a fascinating shayla that Yitzhak Zilberstein offers with regards to uh, the relationship between twins. And Zilberstein says that the following case once took place. There were two twins who hadn't seen each other for quite a long time, and 
one brother was coming to visit the other after about 10 years of not having seen each other. And one of the brothers uh, goes to the, uh, one of the brothers goes to the train station to retrieve his other brother. And he hasn't seen his brother in a, uh, in quite a while. These were identical twins. They looked exactly alike. And uh, he was very excited to be able to see his brother. So brother Ruvain goes to get his brother Shimon from the, uh, from the train station. So as the train is pulling in, so Ruvain is standing on the, uh, on the, uh, the, uh, the deck of the, uh, the train station and uh, the train pulls uh, past him and he looks into the mirror, into the window and he sees person who looks exactly like his brother and he makes a bracha, says Zilberstein of Shehachianu and he sees his brother for the first time in uh, more than uh, 30 days or more than a year. And he makes the bracha of Shechianu with Shem Malchus, with Hashem's name. And uh, it's an expression of excitement. And then the train continues, the train continues, and he realizes that that actually wasn't his brother. That was actually just a reflection of him. That the person that he saw in the window was himself. It wasn't his brother. When his brother opens the door uh, a couple of moments later, and his brother comes off of a different car in the train, so certainly the brother, quote-unquote, that he saw at the beginning of the train wasn't his brother. So the question was asked, does uh, this brother, uh, does Ruvain, who went to go get his brother Shimon, have to make a new bracha of Shechianu when he sees his brother a second time? So Zilberstein says he thinks absolutely as if there was no bracha ever made at all, the bracha was in chal. When you said that bracha, so you didn't see the face, you weren't excited by the presence of your brother because your brother wasn't there. You were looking at yourself uh, in the mirror. And therefore, says Zilberstein, that uh, a person would, uh, a twin, who would undergo such a situation, which uh, obviously probably wouldn't happen uh, overwhelmingly frequently, but uh, that person would have to go ahead and would have to say another bracha of Shechianu when he sees that, uh, when he sees that brother. So the Gemara continues and says that there are cases that we know uh, when we have a situation, we certainly know we have a vados about who a father is, but there won't be a halachic connection to him as he isn't Jewish. So if a child is born uh, and uh, the father and the mother conceived this child, and as this child is a fetus, so the mother undergoes a a conversion. The mother uh, converts while the child is a fetus, and we know that the father is uh, is there. He's around, but he's simply not. Uh, he's simply not Jewish. So the child is not going to have a halacha connection to the father in such a situation. So, is there a precedent in halacha for such a uh, for such a scenario to exist where we know the father, we know who he is, we know what he's about, but he just isn't Jewish, and as a result of this, uh, so there is absolutely no relationship that this child is going to have with a, with the father on a halachic level. So in 1961, Moshe Feinstein wrote a tshuva in Evan Ezer Chilak um, Aleph Simon Yud, and he writes about a woman who had a uh, difficulty conceiving a child. For 10 years, uh, she wasn't able to naturally uh, conceive. And she went and had the zera of a man implanted in her, one of the first cases of in vitro fertilization of IVF. And now she has a man's, uh, you know, uh, wh- whomever it is from some sort of sperm bank, but she has the zera of another man uh, in her. And the question then becomes, from a halakhic perspective, is this woman going to be uh, Asura Labaila? Is she going to be uh, prohibited to go and be with her husband uh, and Question number two, is she going to be a mamzer? Sorry, is the child going to be a mamzer, rather, right? 
The child is born not out of wedlock necessarily, not out of a prohibited act necessarily, but the child is born from uh, the, uh, the, the, the zera of another man, a zera of somebody who is czar, of somebody who is foreign to the mother. And therefore, we have to be uh, cautious as to whether or not she's a sur labayla and whether or not the child is going to become a mamzer. So what did Rav Moshe say in one of these first chuvos uh, in 1961, it'd be fascinating uh, if somebody uh, over the course, and I imagine that there's somebody out there who over the course of time tracked the uh, Chuvos of Rav Moshe uh, in this regard and in this context of IVF and as science developed, whether or not Halacha uh, was, uh, was uh, you know, catered to uh, the modern day science based of the eyes of, uh, of Rav Moshe. Uh, but Rav Moshe says, and answers this Shaila, he says that there's no Isser to a husband without a Maisa Bia. That really the uh, the main Isser of Isur Labailo, it's really going to prohibit one to one's uh, spouse, is a Maisa Bia. And if there's no Maisa Bia, so there's not going to be an Isser. It isn't the reality of having his Zera in you, it's the Maisa of him uh, and you going ahead and, and having a relationship out of uh, out of wedlock. So therefore, she's not going to be Asur Labailo. And there's certainly not going to be Mamzerus over here because Mamzerus requires an Isser Bia, uh, a Maisa Bia as well. And therefore, uh, this child is not a Mamzer. The woman is uh, mutter to her husband. There's no Isur Labayla. And uh, she can uh, she can uh, go ahead and have this child and uh, not have to worry about any of those halachic technicalities. And as the daf goes on, there's a strange statement that we have by the name of Rabbi, uh, in the name of Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva goes ahead and Rabbi Akiva describes that a ger can marry his maternal brother's wife. And Rabbi Akiva then juxtaposed to that statement says that Yonah Hanavi was only spoken to by Hashem twice. That Hashem did not speak to Yonah a third time. And Yonah was only spoken to twice in the whole context of Yonah going to Nineveh to try to get the people of Nineveh to do uh, to do Tshuva. So the question uh, on this Gemara uh, is presented as to what is the relationship between um, Ger marrying his maternal brother's wife and Rabbi Akiva's statement about Yonah. It seems that this proof of Rabbi Akiva is like uh, is, is so out of left field. It's something that's so uh, irrelevant to this uh, to this conversation and to this discussion. So, what was Rabbi Akiva getting at? What is the relationship between these two statements of Rabbi Akiva? So, it comes along the Arach Lener. The Arach Lener presents a beautiful explanation over here as to what Rabbi Akiva was saying. The Arach Lener describes the fact that Hashem told Yonah that Ninveh would be overturned. Yet Hashem accepted the tshuva of the people because he considered their tshuva. As they're overturning, that when they went ahead and when they did tshuva, so that was considered to be as if their city, as if their city was being overthrown and overturned. And since a person uh, who does tshuva is kikatan hanola dummy, it's as if they're born uh, again. So therefore, the people of Ninveh go through this, uh, go through this uh, rebirth process, and there are new people. The 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 nevuah. Uh, did indeed turn out. So the ability for the ger, says Rabbi Akiva, to marry his brother's wife is based on the idea that uh, that that he's gone and under uh, he's undergone this radical transformation, uh, and he is like a newborn baby. He's kikatan hanola dummy. And the Rambam says the same thing in Hilchas Tshuva and Parak Beis Halacha Dalid, where the Rambam basically says that a person who does tshuva changes his entire essence. He changes his name. He changes his mahus. He changes his uh, all of uh, all of uh, the things that make up a person become changed. Says the Rambam. Which is 
which is a, a, a beautiful statement with regards to the power of tshuva. Uh, and basically, what the Arach Lanera is describing is that uh, in both of these situations, the situation of the Ger and the situation of the Baal Tshuva, so they're overthrowing and overturning their entire lives. And uh, that's basically what we have over here. And then the Gemara goes on to describe more situations in which a Ger that was conceived with non-Jewish parents, but born to Jewish parents, uh, and uh, what, what happens as a result in those cases. And the case that the Gemara presents is uh, a case that, uh, a person has maternal relatives, but not paternal relatives. And the Gemara says that the case is uh, a case of a man who marries his maternal sister. And the Gemara goes on to describe that he has to send her away. He has to be motzi, uh, this woman. But if he married a paternal sister, he can stay married to her. Continues the Gemara. If he married a maternal sister of his father, he needs to send her away. But if he married a paternal sister of his father, he can stay with her. And ultimately, the Gemara says in the name of Rabbi Meir that any erva who is asura because of a maternal relationship, he must send away. But any erva that's asura because of a paternal relationship, he is uh, has the ability to remain with her. The Gemara in Subis and Daf Gimel Amadez speaks and describes at length about a woman who uh, the Gemara says has to go ahead and has to have a relationship with the Hegmon, a uh, uh, an authority figure, somebody, a governmental official, before she uh, before she gets married. And the Gemara suggests that it should be mutter. That why should there be any? Uh, why should any? Uh, why should there be? Uh, 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 you know, halachic ramifications on that level, if it was done by Ones, she had no, uh, she had uh, uh, no interest in doing this. It was unwillingly that she, uh, that she came to such a situation. And Tosus on the spot over there comments that this is not even considered to be uh, Giloy Arayos. So the question is, why not? Why is this relationship that this woman has with a Hegmon not going to be considered to be Giloy, uh, Giloy Arayos? So Rabino Tom says, uh, and answers as uh, there's no Gilei Arayos because uh, this is considered to be what's called Bia Lemitzri, and it's Usser for sure. There are uh, many halakhic problem, problems with it. It's halakhically problematic, but it's not considered to be full-fledged Gilei Arayos, which is a very big Chiddush uh, of Rabbeinu Tam. Uh, and uh, again, Rabbeinu Tam is of the opinion that uh, that uh, that this is not considered to be Gilei Arayos. The Rivam on Daf Gimel in Meseches Ksubos says the exact opposite. Of course, she's Nivellis. By being with a non-Jew, she's going to become uh, Asura Libaila. So this uh, this conversation uh, takes us through the uh, the middle to the bottom of Daf Tzadiches Amadbeis, and ultimately the Shulchan Aruch in uh, Yoridea in Reish Samach Tes uh, describes that Midoraisa, a convert, can go ahead and can marry his. Uh, mother or maternal sister who converted, but the Chachamim forbade such a uh, such a marriage and such a union, less uh, we're nervous that they're going to say that we had greater Kedusha before we converted uh, than afterwards. And if a convert had Bia with his Nachros mother or sister, it is like Bia with any, uh, it is like Bia with any Nachros, and that's going to be uh, Asura. So Midoraisa, these relationships would be uh, Mutter, but Midorabanan, the Rabanan came along, Chazal came along, and uh, and Asur then. The Shulchan Aruch then continues, then the Shulchan Aruch says that if a convert was married to his mother, right, his mother is uh, um, not considered to be uh, in erva after the uh, after the conversion, or he was married to his maternal sister before conversion, and then they converted. So then we have to separate them. If he was married to a different erva 
and he converted, uh, and they both converted, rather, then we do not have to separate them. And the Shach comments over there, they're regarding uh, any other Arayos, so there's no confusion with Yisraelim, for they were married before conversion. But these people, they must separate for three months, so we will know whether or not the child was conceived B'Kedusha uh, or not. And again, as this uh, as the Daf is going on, so we have these uh, these discussions about whether or not the child is conceived by Kedusha, born by Kedusha, Kedusha obviously referring to Kedusha Yisrael, and uh, what that would uh, what that would mean going forward for this man and for his relationships. The Gemara then continues, and we make our way to the bottom of Tzadiches Ahmed Beis, uh, and the next Mishnah on Daf Tzadiches Ahmed Beis, which we will uh, get to next week, describes. Uh, a scenario of five women whose children become mixed up with others. And they grow up to be adults and they get married uh, and they die. One of them dies without children. And the question becomes, how do their brothers deal with the five widows as each require Yibam or Chalitza from the husband's brothers? But since we don't know the true familiar relationship of those that died, it's going to be impossible to match up the widows with their respective uh, brothers-in-law, and the Mishnah describes what should be done in such a situation. And obviously, uh, you know, the Me'iri presents the op- the possibility that all of them should do Chalitza. Uh, and if all of them do Chalitza, so uh, that would certainly be the easiest situation, but it would totally undermine the possibility of Yibum uh, taking place. So we definitely try uh, our best to avoid such a situation, but uh, but uh, but that is where our uh, our Gemara goes, and as this uh, Mishnah presents itself, so the Gemara is going to continue to discuss all sorts of situations that the uh, the lineage and who the parents of a particular child or a few children uh, are is uh, is in, up in the air, is up and down, and we don't know uh, necessarily fully who are who uh, who are the parents of this child and how that plays itself out uh, halachically. So that brings us to the bottom of. Daf Tzadiches Amad Beis, and uh, that is this week's Daf Hashavua.